Welcome to season two of the Aging Project podcast. I'm your host, Shelley Craft, and together we're here to uncover and explore the secrets to healthy, fabulous, vibrant aging. We've done the research and we've found the best guests ready to help you flourish at any age. So join me as I ask the big questions, your questions, to some of the world's leading authorities in health wellness and lifestyle. Think of them as your own support aging mentors, a group of experts that are here to make the little changes turn into a big difference for us. The Aging Project was created to help you age well, to help us all age well together. So welcome to the Aging Project podcast. Today we're exploring the connection between our mouth and health and why it matters. Our guest today is Dr. B, a man with the qualifications, experience and passion to help us understand what functional or root cause medicine is all about and how it differs from traditional dentistry. So much of today's conversation was new information to me, mind-blowing information in fact. We touched on everything from mouthwash, tongue scraping to nose breathing. This is a fascinating conversation, so let's get into it. This week's guest is Dr. Mark Buhenna, or Dr. B, as we'll call him from now on. And we've asked him to come on the show to explore the link between the health of our mouth and the health of our body. And I am really, really excited about this conversation. Could this be another piece of the Aging Well puzzle that we have never considered before? Dr. B would suggest that it is. He's a functional dentist and a leading expert in oral medicine, which is a rapidly growing industry in the US. Back here in Australia, I'm reminded of the typical conversation most of us would have with our local dentists, which are, are you brushing twice a day? Are you flossing? Have you booked in for your next checkup? Let's be honest, since I was a little girl, not much has really changed in the dialogue or the exchange at my dental checkup. So the question is, what are we missing? Dr. B, it is wonderful to have you with us today. I have so many questions. I can't wait to dive into this topic. Absolutely. Let's get to it. And regarding aging process, a lot of what happens in the mouth ages us prematurely. And and then also we're, in the US, we're not that far ahead. We'll, we'll get into the conversation, but, but we have the same holy trinity uh, here, you know, brush twice a day, floss daily, see your dentist, uh, you know, uh, every six months. And, you know, that's got to change. Well, here we are to start that conversation. So firstly, Dr. B, can you give us a little rundown on who you are and what you're all about? Well, uh, I've practiced for 35 years in the US in the Silicon Valley. Um, You know, I have practiced a little differently when I came out of school, as most dental students do. We are considered safe beginners. That's actually the term they use. Uh, we're, it's, it's designed so that we don't hurt anyone. And then we develop our clinical skills, but early on in my career, and also because of my hobbies, actually in high school, food science, nutrition, actually longevity. I was reading longevity books in high school. It just kind of all fit together. And it really crystallized when I discovered that I had mild sleep apnea. My wife had severe sleep apnea. That was a elevation in itself. Um, so I am now retired after 35 years, and I want to get the message out on how great functional dentistry is, how it's not learned in dental school, it's learned after dental school, and it's a great thing for patients. It's also a great thing for dentists. Uh, the, the market here is changing rapidly. Big corporations are moving in, taking over dental practices, 
and that is affecting how we practice dentist here in the in the in the United States and it's not all for the better. So that's what I'm doing now. I am I went from sitting down and getting up in between patients to now sitting down and doing podcasts and instagramming uh you know also some lecturing uh it, it's a it's a crazy change uh very different but really being a doctor is teaching. If you, if you look at the Latin root of the verb to doctor, it's actually to teach, not to heal. That's secondary. So that's I'm going into full teaching mode. Uh, I'm also helping other practitioners. We have a list of functionally provided, functional providers in dentistry, and we're trying to grow that list as well. So I would say you are far from retired, Dr. B. <laughs> this is a whole new world for you. And I know oh, if you crazy. have been uh, obviously interested in longevity, this is a huge part of it, isn't it? It's it's staying active. It's staying interested, staying engaged. So, yes, I, w- I wouldn't say you're retired one little bit. <laughs> well, you're absolutely right. Uh, staying engaged is one of the pillars of longevity. So what is functional dentistry compared to what we know as as traditional or commercial dentistry? You know, the, the analog to this is what is functional medicine compared to conventional medicine. Most people deep down know what that is. In dentistry, it's similar. Instead of just treating cavities, we talked earlier about flossing, seeing your dentist, getting the symptoms treated. It's really about the dentist. And, and also there needs to be a kind of a desire on the patient's side to want this kind of treatment because it's better for them in the long run is to go upstream and find out what are the things, the is it the environment, is it diet, is it uh, genetics, is it epigenetics? What is it that's causing all these symptoms and trying to address them? That That is, in a nutshell, functional dentistry. It is the practice of addressing, teaching, recognizing. It's not easy to recognize a, a root cause often. it you, you need to be a detective. You need to work well with the patient and communicate. Uh, a lot of patients have ideas on what the root causes are. And then, of course, there are the obvious ones. Diet, obviously, is, is a root cause for a lot of the problems we have, not just medically, systemically, but also uh, in regards to oral health. So it is a overall global approach where we're considering things that we do not learn about in dental school, the oral microbiome, similar to the gut microbiome, uh, the, the connection between disease in the mouth and disease in the body, that oral systemic connection. It's a two-way kind of uh, communication. It's also uh, finding out what toxins create oral disease. Ironically, some of the toxins are, are ideological. In other words, it comes from us. We're recommending fillings with mercury in it, which is a neurotoxin. We're also recommending fluoride, uh, which is bad for a fetal uh, brain, brain for an infant. Uh, there are, uh, that, those, that's the epigenetics of it, the environment. It's addressing all of this. And of course, nutritional counseling, as simple as that, Re- recognizing and teaching, uh, making sure that the patient knows that they're going to get cavities. I, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a period of time where I went to the dentist as a young man. My parents were pretty good about that. And I always assumed, in fact, I got ready for that filling. And yes, yes, I mean, I ate crackers, (laughs) I I, I ate poorly and, and, but that, that is not the norm. That is not the default setting. Kids should not be getting cavities. 
It's interesting, isn't it? Because my parents did scare me with that as well. They said, if you don't brush your teeth well, you won't go to our dentist. We'll send you to the school dentist, which is an institution here Ooh. in Australia. The caravan tours around to all the public schools um, and they aren't quite as willing to offer the lovely happy gas and they aren't quite as willing to give you the uh, the numbing injection or the cream. So if you've been really bad oh at goodness. brushing your teeth, you end up at the school right. dentist, which was frightening for me. Oh it did goodness. work. You know, I probably got a couple of fillings in my in my 45 years but um, yeah that was the scare tactic used here in Australia when was that big disconnect between medicine and dentistry because what you're saying is you know I never ask my GP about my teeth or oral care I leave that to my dentist thinking that it really is just a a quick clean and um, a fluoride treatment and off you go you'll be right for another six months or so was there a right. time when those two industries worked much closer together and and where have we gone wrong since then right it's a great question in, in the US at least you may not believe this but in 1839 we we went our separate ways uh, in fact Dennis got kicked out of the club out of the the medical health club and we were labeled as charlatans uh, as quacks we were not evidence based of course if that if a physician needed a root canal and extraction guess what they would go see a dentist but that goes way back and i think i i talk about this often i think that schism that that division has really harmed not only the professions both professions mm -hmm. but ultimately it's it's really harmed the patient because now we know, we, we knew back then, but now we know more, we've got better studies, uh, better recognition uh, amongst patients, that you, you can't just work in a vacuum. Uh, the physician cannot ignore oral health while he's treating you know, heart health or you know, metabolic syndrome, diabetes, uh, and just as well, a dentist cannot ignore those kind of diseases because they're linked to gum disease and you know, uh, even cavities. Uh, crowded teeth. Um, dentists are great at recognizing sleep apnea well before physicians can because we have different a different training. But really, even here in the U.S., still there's not a lot of crosstalk, um, and that that I think has harmed. Uh, I think it it has affected overall care and efficacy and the results. I mean, of you know the final result. Are you going to get better, or is it? Are we preventing disease? And if physicians are practicing in one lane and we're in the other, and we're just speeding along, and we never look over or pass information on the patient, you know, between the cars that we're traveling in, I think that's just a disaster. Uh, and I think we've seen the effects of it already. So there's obviously a lot of work to be done from that industry perspective of being able, you know, your GPs and your dentists being able to talk to each other. And that's something hopefully um, with more knowledge, more education, more exposure, we'll be able to get to that. But can you help us understand the link between our mouth and our body and, and how our mouths do affect the rest of our bodies? Absolutely. So it's uh, referred to as the oral systemic connection, the connection between the mouth and our systemic uh, body. And, and again, I feel just talking that way is improper. I mean, to single out the mouth, oral health from systemic health is ridiculous because it's part of the systemic equation. But here we are, we do talk about it because of that schism that we were, we were just talking about. And things in the mouth, in fact, I would argue that most chronic diseases, systemic diseases are related in some way, seven, eight out of 10 diseases are originate or are affected 
or, or fired up, you know, if we're talking about inflammation, or seeded by what happens in the mouth. And, and on our website, Ask the Dentist, we're always talking about what happens in the mouth happens in the body. There's a, there's a lot of what happens in the body makes oral disease worse as well. So most of that is, there are many mechanisms. There's a metastatic, um, and there's injury, and I mean, there are toxins. Uh, the mouth is a very unique part of the body. It's the only place of the body where a inanimate object pokes out through the jawbone. Um, you know, anywhere else, our fingernails don't count. That's something different. And that junction between the tooth and the part of the body, the tissue and the bone that's trying to keep that area safe is very, very complicated. It has a very complicated blood supply. It's got ligaments that keep the teeth in place, but allow them to move a little bit. And I don't know if, 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 if you remember when, when you go to the dentist, you get all those readings done in millimeters and those pockets, that pocket is where it all happens. And that's where it all goes wrong. And once that pocket becomes infected, which here in the States, at least, I would say globally as well, is easily 50 to 70% of the population, that, that's how common gum disease is, or even gingivitis, that is leaking. That's a leakage. Essentially, that's the beginning of bugs in the mouth getting into your bloodstream. Once they're in the bloodstream, they can affect the heart, they can affect your liver, they can actually uh, complicate cancers. Um, the big one, of course, is Alzheimer's. It crosses the blood-brain barrier and gets into the brain, creates uh, those bacteria, those oral bacteria that get into the brain. Basically, the brain reacts to that by laying down an amyloid plaque that, as you know, is the beginning of Alzheimer's. Uh, we call that substance the gingipan or the gingipan response. That data now is three, four years old. I mean, it's it's a it's a complicated three-part mechanism that we think we understand. We've been talking about it for a while, but a lot more research has, has to happen. But we do know that there's an oral systemic connection. The studies support that. And inflammation in the mouth easily transforms and becomes inflammation throughout the body. That makes it sound so obvious, doesn't it, that your mouth really is the gateway to the rest of your body? It is. It is. And also the oral microbiome, which we've been talking now about for about 10 years, that came after we discovered the gut microbiome. Turns out the gut, the oral microbiome is the second largest and most diverse microbiome in the body, but it's actually feeding and seeding and affecting downstream the gut microbiome. And this is why that systemic, I mean, that systemic oral systemic connection happens on so many different levels. And that's, that mechanism is not, uh, is not well understood yet. But we do know that people with a, a dysbiotic gut microbiome also have a dysbiotic oral microbiome. And if you heal the oral microbiome, in fact, the uh, functional medicine always talks about the five R's and, and that is basically a, a protocol where you very carefully sequence how you treat the gut microbiome. In other words, if you add probiotics too soon to a dysbiotic gut microbiome, then you're going to mess things up. You're actually going to make the patient very, very sick. So one of those five R's should be observe and make sure that the oral microbiome is doing its job and is not dysbiotic because it's linked to the gut microbiome. And there we go back to that connection between physicians and dentists again. And are they talking? And do physicians know about the oral microbiome and vice versa? We cannot practice in a vacuum. That's a mistake. That's got to end. So, so can you test your oral microbiome? 
You can. Um, we've had testing for a while, but there's a new test uh, called Bristle out of San Diego. And uh, that's a metagenomic uh, kind of a shotgun approach. It's looking for every bug in the mouth. The question, and it's very specific, it's very precise, uh, but there are over 700 species, probably more on their way once we find them. The problem is, is what do we do with that data? So we can test, it's readily available to anyone. I'm not sure if it's available in Australia yet, but I will find out for you and, and uh, get back to you on that. Thank but you. in the US, anyone can go to this website, spit in, uh, order it, kit comes to you in the mail, spit into a little tube, very much like, uh, you know, these Rat ancestry test, sites. Test. We're so used to those now. We can spit yeah. in anything. We can swab anything these days. Exactly. It's easy. And compared to, you know, drawing blood. But uh, and then within a week, you're going to get kind of a framework of what your oral microbiome is. Again, the oral microbiome is really a bunch of bacteria. It's a bunch of viruses, uh fungi, yeast cells, and they're on board. That This is DNA that's not related to us. In other words, it is non-human DNA. And there's more of them than there is human DNA. And they are on board. The gut microbiome, the armpit microbiome, there's a vaginal biome, uh, scalp. They even think there's a brain microbiome now. And certainly there's the oral and nasal microbiomes. Nasal is pretty much considered to be part of the oral microbiome. And all of these biomes are connected. They're talking with each other. And and they probably are keeping us alive. There was a study that just came out where they, and I don't know how they did this. I feel bad even thinking about it and talking about it, but they took away the gut microbiome from rats and they died. I mean, we need these alien bugs, and but they have to be in the right proportion to each other. They have to be getting along. We call that commensal. If they're not, then they become pathogenic. Then you get a dysbiosis. And then your overall health starts failing. Uh, you start aging, your mitochondria are affected. Uh, you start getting bad breath, you start getting cavities, gum disease, but also you get infections throughout the body if there's a dysbiosis in, in the mouth. So, so really the, testing is great. We've got it mm -hmm. now. It's, and this company is doing a great job of it. We're, we're making recommendations. We're learning based on what we see, what recommendations we make. In other words, you get a score, you get a cavity score, you get a mm -hmm. likelihood of getting gum disease and those kind of things. And more is coming, but yes, you can test for the oral microbiome. Just brushing, washing and flossing. Flossing is tough. Might I mean, actually be doing you more damage, yeah. damage than good. Uh, it can be. Uh, there are a lot of products. And again, this is where dentistry, at least in the US, has really failed uh, our patients. We, we talk about and support indirectly or directly. We support and promote a lot of these products that actually harm the oral microbiome. The oral microbiome is fragile to a point, uh, but the oral microbiome, as, as is the gut microbiome, it's not used to fermentable carbohydrates, processed foods, uh, surfactants, emulsifiers, uh, essential oils, alcohol or pesticide-based mouthwashes uh, or toothpaste, that is taking down the oral microbiome. It's also taking down the gut microbiome. All these things, our environment right now, microplastics, for example, all of these things, there are so many things out there in our environment that we introduced that are taking down these biomes and we're suffering as a result. Uh, and it's, it's a little scary, uh, but things you can change, Microplastics, that's going to be tough. That's going to be, that's going to take decades. But there are things you can do right away. You can stop using uh, alcohol based mouthwashes. Mm -hmm. We have studies that indicate or sh show, demonstrate 
that by using that, you're, you're, you're killing important bacteria in your mouth that actually are related to lowering your blood pressure, the, the nitric oxide bugs that create, uh, form nitric oxide or, or convert it to its active form. And so tongue scraping would be better instead of using a mouthwash. Plus mouthwash doesn't work. A lot of these toothpastes have very <laughs> strong stop. chemicals says, in it. <laughs> mouthwash does not work, full stop. It does not work, <laughs> clearly. And, and I think these big manufacturers, these big corporations, they know that, but they keep selling it and they will continue selling it as long as there's a market for it. And it's a very lucrative business. It mm -hmm. costs Colgate and Crest 30, 25 to 35 cents to put a tube of toothpaste on the shelves, including marketing, packaging, uh, uh, shipping, all of that. And you know, what does it cost? I don't know what it costs in Australia, but it's four oh, or five, six bucks. Four or five bucks They're even yeah. talking about going to $10 for a tube of toothpaste for a bad, you know, you know, generic, poorly made uh, tube of toothpaste. And that's ridiculous because it's like, you're better off not using it. Brushing and flossing are helpful as long as you're using the right materials and, you know, don't use a Teflon-based floss. Mm -hmm. Be careful. Make sure your nylon toothbrush is very smooth and soft and isn't scratching your enamel. Make sure it's well-made and make sure you're replacing it often. But toothpaste and mouthwash, it's 10% of the equation. But there is nothing more lovely than having a fresh mouth and fresh breath. I agree. There? I agree. So is I that totally just because we're, we're self-conscious about that? Should, should we be going out there with, with stinky breath or is there something we can actually uh, do well, that works both ways, that gives us yeah, the fresh I'm feeling but also doesn't do us any harm? glad you asked because, you know, find out what the root cause is of your bad breath. Nail it and knock it out forever where you don't have to keep covering it up with an essential oil or, you know, every time you take down the oral microbiota in the mouth with alcohol, we even use pesticides here in the U.S. Um, and soaps and emulsifiers, surfactants. Every time you do that, you are killing those sulfide producing gaseous, you know, smelling rotten egg smell uh, uh, bugs that produce that. But they come back. The, the kill rate is only 10, 15 minutes. So you better bring the mouthwash with you when you're going on a date and just keep disappearing <laughs> off every 10, 15 minutes. It's really, that's what's needed, but it's a Band-Aid. So I think it's best to see a functional dentist, find out what the root cause is, and you'll never have bad breath again. And I'm assuming that, that chewing gums come into that same category, do they, as, as mouthwashes and you toothpaste? Know, yeah, actually, chewing gum is probably a good thing. It promotes salivation. Saliva is great. A lot of us have very dry mouths. Uh, you know, I'm convinced we're talking way more than our ancestors did. You know, that dries out the mouth. We're sleeping with our mouths open. We're drinking very, uh, uh, you know, drinks that dehydrate us. You know, it's uh, that the dry mouth is not a good thing for for your breath. Uh, probably just scraping your tongue, eating properly, not using oral products that are taking down your oral microbiome. In other words, nourishing it, feeding it, making sure it's well. Um, and then, of course, making sure your teeth are clean, flossing and brushing. That's the best thing you can do. I would go right to tongue scraping. If, For example, with the, the bristle test, uh, they have a halitosis score now, which I think is wonderful because that motivates people to buy this test and learn more about their oral microbiome. They also have a gut score. But the halitosis score is great because it tells you whether you have bad breath or not. Now, a lot of people aren't married Don't and know they're it. single. <laughs> I don't know it or in, are in denial, right? And yep. so this is a great way to find out. And for those people, I would say go to, if you aren't already doing it, go to tongue scraping. Don't overdo it, but tongue scrape daily. 
be careful of, you know, what you're eating. There's a little five, 10 minute spiel in there on, on diet and foods and all that. And that's probably will do it. You can get bad breath from your gut. Certainly that's not the most common way of getting bad breath. It usually starts in the mouth. So, so yeah, there's testing there. Um, we're, we're looking at some really interesting changes coming in dentistry, which I think will solve a lot of these issues and we'll solve them for good. We won't have to keep supporting you know, this whole industry of just crap that we're buying. I mean, it just, it's, and it's making it worse for us. Think of our poor children, fluoridated toothpaste. They're swallowing it. It gets absorbed through their oral mucosa. It goes to their brain and it lowers their IQ. A lot of these studies are coming oh out of Australia. I, yeah. I told I mean, you this conversation would be just fascinating. Well, and this is not, I mean, back in my day, I mean, I raised three daughters. Back then I didn't have all this data. We have now almost 80 studies from all over the world. Uh, and all these studies pretty much agree that there's an effect on the child's IQ if fluoride is being ingested by mom when she's pregnant. It can start then. Uh, it crosses the blood-brain barrier and certainly up until age 10. It's going to be the new lead. I don't know how lead is treated in Australia, but lead 20, 30 years ago was 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 outlawed. I mean, if you had lead in your paint, you'd, it was almost like asbestos. I think mm -hmm. fluoride will become the new lead pretty soon in the US mm -hmm. because that's the effect it's having. So so a lot of these products are are horrible. Um and and they're 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 not promoting health. They're actually taking it away from us and at a very early age. God, it it is this is fascinating. And I heard you say you can't outbrush a bad diet or or oral disease is a disease of diet, not hygiene. So what can we be eating? What should we be eating to help the health of our mouth? microbiome, which is also obviously going to help our gut along the way. If the two work so closely together, doing what's right for one is obviously going to be right for the other. Right. Well, again, that addresses the root cause of bad breath, cavities, and gum disease. It is your diet. Uh, so I have a list that that I talk about with my patients and, and, and you know, uh, Instagram followers, and, and that is what are the causes of oral disease? I, I think the, the first two on the list are neck and neck. I mean, you could... Uh, you know, interchange them based on the patient. And the first thing would be dry mouth. Dry mouth is very prevalent. Uh, a lot of dry mouth comes from being on medication. A lot of young people are on medication. It's not just the elderly. Medication, the most common side effect of any pharmaceutical drug pretty much is dry mouth. We're drinking teas and coffees and things that dehydrate us. We're not well hydrated. We have a dry mouth. I mean, this is a common thing now in today's world. We sleep with our mouths open. That's another root cause that can be addressed in, in dentistry. So because of that, and then we're eating starchy foods, snack foods, goldfish, crackers, saltine crackers, uh, you know, obviously candy and all these processed foods. This is what causes oral disease. Uh, that is number two. So it's diet. You haven't heard yet about flossing and brushing. That would be number three. That is a solid number three. And that's where you can't really, it's like trying to lose weight. You cannot exercise your way to lower weight. It's really a combination of many, many things. It's very complex. And that's the way it is uh, in the mouth. And the fourth thing is your epigenetics, but genetics. There is a genetic component. Some people are more prone to getting cavities, for example, and gum disease and other oral diseases. So, But that's very far down the list. Those first two are crucial. The third one we can all do. We can floss and brush. But one and two are crucial. And they're not really being addressed because most people don't know about it. Dry mouth and diet. You spoke uh, earlier about your nose obviously being connected to that. So where does an, an ENT specialist come in to this mix 
of of making sure that everything is working the right way? Do they work more closely with dentists or do they work more closely with your your GP or or a specialist? Right. Well, here in the U.S., again, there's that divide. And if, you know, it's very difficult for me as a dentist to refer directly to a pediatric ENT for a child or a ear, nose and throat doctor, MD, uh, because you have to go the way the insurance business works here, the third parties, you have to go through a primary care physician, but they are incentivized. That's a long story, but mostly they're incentivized to really push back on making that referral because the insurance companies really are running the show here in the US. So so it would be nice if we can could make those referrals directly. And again, we recognize issues about breathing, blockage of the nose, poor facial development, crowded teeth, the jaw didn't form as as much as it should have. Uh, and in doing so that affects the nose and the airway and because that has been affected, then that child, even that adult, they're not breathing properly and they do need an ear, nose and throat referral. So that's difficult to do as a dentist, but it's getting easier and there are ways around that. And of course, that's sometimes what, what what's needed. Um, but, but there's a lot of pushback. It depends on who the referral is to. And again, for the first 10 years I was doing this, I was getting a lot of patients coming back and going, you know, it doesn't seem to be a pro- big problem because my primary care physician looked and said it wasn't a problem. Well, the PCP knows very little bit about mouth breathing, nose breathing as compared to a dentist, at least here in the US. And so really it, it takes the, it, it, it requires finding someone, an ENT who is enlightened about the need to get a child to mouth breathe as opposed to uh, sorry, to nose breathe as opposed to mouth breathing and mm-hmm. to look at the tonsils and the adenoids as as a problem as you know, if you can't if they're swollen and and kissing and touching in the mouth, you know, then obviously that child is not breathing properly. And mm-hmm. if you don't breathe through your nose properly, their behavior changes their their uh, their diet, their cravings will change. They won't sleep very well. They become very agitated. Uh, there's connections between not being able to nose breathe as a child and ADHD and ADD. So lots of things can go wrong, but that's a problem here in the US. Uh, yeah. And it's getting better now, but I think it still is a problem. So let's talk about that. Mouth breathing is out, full stop. And nose breathing is what our yep. bodies are supposed to do, but many of us don't, a eh? because as you say, we're probably talking so much that our mouths are always well, our mouths are always open. But should we be nose breathing? This is revelationary for me. I'm sorry if if everyone else has heard this before, but should we well, be nose it's, breathing, not it's, mouth breathing? Yeah, it's still new. Um, it was it was sounded crazy to me as well, um, and this was 10, 12 years ago. And that's when I started uh, recommending mouth taping. We can get into that if you want. That's even crazier. But nose breathing clearly, whether you speak with a physician or a dentist, the ones that are enlightened and have read the studies, that is very, very important, especially in a child, especially when they're very young. If they're mouth breathing, let's say you have an infant, let's say they're breastfeeding or they're not breastfeeding. It doesn't really matter. If their mouth is open all the time, they are going, their face will be different when they're an adult, in shape and size, hence their airway will be smaller, the ability to breathe through their now, nose, their oral microbiome will be different because they're breathing more through their mouth. Uh, that could affect their gut microbiome. And then there are other changes that we can talk about, systemic changes. So it's a big deal. And again, dentists can recognize this. I like to see patients 
as soon as they're born. I mean, within a week or two, there's a tongue tie. If that's not addressed, hospitals here in the U.S. now are trying to address it, but they miss it often or they think they've got it and they and they do the surgery to release the tongue tie. But it's really a posterior tongue tie. That means the child can't breastfeed. That means mom is going to have a tough time. She may get postpartum depression. There's a link between that. And then the child won't get the right tongue posture for the rest of their life, which affects their breathing. These are all things that that can be addressed Again, if dentists and physicians would be communicating, again, it's getting better. I don't want to be too negative on it, but but nose breathing is everything. A real simple answer to that is read James Nestor's book called Breath. Fantastic book. I recommend everyone read that. It was a runaway bestseller. It came out during COVID. But if that doesn't convince you, nothing will. But nose breathing, for example, we've been talking now for, what, 30, 40 minutes. My blood pH, the, the pH of my blood has changed because most of the breathing I've been doing, because I'm talking so much, as well as you, has changed because we're pulling in a lot of air through our mouth and not doing a lot of nose breathing. Uh, you cannot, it, it has to do with the CO2, O2 ratio or mix. Again, in dental school and, and in pre-dent, pre-med, in, in, in school, in college, I was taught that CO2 was toxic. It's not. In fact, in fact, without CO2, we'd all be dead. We need CO2 and we need a certain ratio of it to O2. It's the, it's the base of the brain that is measuring and regulating your breathing rate, but it's, it's that part of the brain that it's looking at CO2 content in the blood to make that decision for you hormonally and neurologically and all that. It's not looking at O2. And also if that mix isn't right and the pH drops, your uptake of oxygen in the lungs, uh, to, you know, to the red blood cells is is hampered, is is affected. So, yeah, we need to get that ratio right, and the easiest way to do that is just to close your mouth, breathe through your nose. I mean, that's the simple <laughs> answer, but but it's that simple. Oh. And we all think we know how to breathe. Well, we don't. So, so I think when someone realizes or reads about this and they realize that they can't breathe through their nose, one way to find out is to tape your mouth closed at night the tape is off in the morning or it comes off or, or you don't sleep well or you can't keep it on for a few minutes, obviously you're a mouth breather, then you know that you need to get a referral to an ear, nose, and throat. It is a vital part. In fact, I would call it one of the pillars or, or basic foundations of longevity, the difference oh between God. mouth breathing and nose breathing. That nitric oxide is everything. You some, are blowing some scientists, my mind, Dr. B. Well, this it, is it crazy. was discovered after the year 2000. The, the guy who discovered nitric oxide, I think he won a Nobel Prize. And it essentially has been called by physicians the fountain of youth. I mean, that's an exaggeration, of course, but but that gives you an idea of how important nose breathing is. So so again, dentistry is in the in, in the pole position for recognizing it and also treating it. Again, if you don't get proper facial development, we don't intervene with orthodontic care at age two or four or five instead of waiting when the teeth come in and they're all crowded and, and put wires and brackets on, 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 on our poor teenagers at, at that crucial point in their lives. That's ridiculous. That doesn't do anything. We need to make sure the face develops width-wise so that there is no crowding. And that little box, uh, the box of the mouth, if that grows properly, then the airway box and the nose box go with it. This is extraordinary. Is it always to do with something more complicated than just habit? Um, if you are just more comfortable mouth breathing, is it likely that that is because there is something else physically 
not as it should be or do you just get into a habit of one or the other I know even when um, you're exercising you know that always say in through the nose out through the mouth if, if you're running or whatever it is so is right. it something you can learn to do or will you need some sort of intervention that's a great question so the the good news is yes it it poor breathing becomes a habit but I would say that's because we were forced into that habit when we were young, and that's all we know, and it becomes a memory, like a muscle memory. It can be reversed. There's actually a musical instrument from Australia. I cannot pronounce it. It was the Aborigines used to play it or play it. And that musical instrument, there are studies saying that by humming or playing that instrument, that that is a form of myofunctional therapy by relearning how to breathe by playing that instrument. Um, so there are things. You can see a myofunctional therapist. That's a growing field now here in the U.S. Dentists finally approve of that and recognize that as a specialty and will keep that in-house under the same roof or they'll have a hygienist that is trained in that. And myofunctional therapy is a wonderful thing. You can relearn that. Now, if you can't breathe through your nose, there's no amount of myofunctional therapy that will help. So you'll need surgery You'll need a tongue tie release, whatever, to fix what you talked about. That was the reason, you know, there, there are things that prevent you from doing that. Um, but then you still need myofunctional therapy because you, you can't automatically start breathing properly or swallowing properly. Mm -hmm. Or that rest position for the tongue, that has to be learned. And so, but that, the good news is that takes four or five one-hour sessions to learn and some simple exercises. Even children are, are really readily very good at learning how to do that. So it's a combination, to answer your question, it's multifactorial, but it's a little bit of both. And you just have to find out where you are on that spectrum. And again, that's why mouth taping is, is such a great, I, I used it as a differential diagnosis. Uh, I would ask my patients, do you nose breathe or mouth breathe? I mean, I wouldn't say it to them like that. I would describe it to them. I could see signs of mouth breathing in the mouth, but I wanted to know for sure. And of course, they didn't know, or they would deny that they were mouth breathing. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would just send them home with some tape and I would, I would text them the next morning or they would text me, whatever we had agreed upon. And I would say, do you still, did you have the tape on when you woke up in the morning? If you did, and you slept normally, then you are able to breathe through your nose, obviously, because your mouth was closed all night. And so that's a great way to diagnose or differentially understand whether that's possible or not. You can't just put a camera up someone's nose at every dental visit and make that decision. The tape is cheap and inexpensive. Now, there's some people that fall into, into the gray zones where when they do tape, they toss and turn a lot. That means they're struggling a little bit, but they're you know, overachievers, they want to keep that tape on. And then there are people that obviously cannot tape. In fact, you pretty much know who those people are just by mentioning mouth taping, they freak out, obviously, because they're very protective of this single source of air. Those are the people that are very phobic and difficult dental patients, because when you lie them on their back and you work in that primary way, airway of where they get their air and they can't breathe through their nose, there's water in the back of their throat. That's almost like a form of waterboarding if you think about it. That doesn't work well. So a lot of anxious patients that are phobic, I will, I will find that and let's fix your nose first and then do the dental work. And that works great, typically. Oh, my goodness. Is this how you came about writing the book, The Eight-Hour Sleep Paradox? Because it seems unusual that a dentist would be writing about sleep. Um, but what, what did you learn out of that and what can you share with us? Well, that's actually the, in the first paragraph, the first uh, chapter is why is a dentist writing about sleep? And back then it was a little bit of a novelty. And now 
dentists are airway centric practitioners, which is wonderful. And this is something I preach to all the functional providers that are on our list and, and they're getting it and they understand it and they love it because we do such a better job at finding it. We, we're not allowed to diagnose it yet, which is, again, that that's the politics between medicine and mm-hmm. dentistry in the US and that still goes on. But but at least we can screen for it and we we love doing it because we understand it better from a root cause perspective. What caused that airway to be small? Well, you know, muscle, uh, the, the wrong swallow reflex, the position of the tongue incorrectly, in, not in place properly for years and that reshapes the face. The face is not formed by bones growing. It's literally shaped by the swallow reflex and where the tongue rests uh, while you age uh, as a kid. In fact, it leads to sleep apnea issues, sleep disorder breathing, but I came about it and so did my wife. We were literally dropping off our first daughter at college and obviously we were in the same hotel room and and I literally woke up with my three daughters batting me with pillows uh, going, dad, you were snoring. And, you know, I, I didn't know much about snoring. Snoring was kind of funny and cute. And, 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 and as it turns out, my wife was snoring too, but no one knew this. And that's when our journey started on discovering the root cause. Now I, I'm able to nose breathe. So is my wife, but you can still have sleep apnea if you're able to breathe through your nose, but people that cannot breathe through their nose, they tend to get sleep apnea well before people that can nose breathe. Uh, it, it depends on the situation, but, but yeah, I mean, that's how I got into functional, into the functional approach. I mean, mm-hmm. what, where did all this come from? And I stopped getting cavities. I stopped getting inflammation of the gums when I appro- addressed sleep apnea. In fact, I had shoulder and neck issues and I always thought that was an occupational, you know, an occupational hazard of being a dentist. It wasn't. I did Pilates, I did deep tissue, myofascial release, all of that seemed to manage the the symptoms very well. The root cause of that was my sleep apnea. People that struggle for air, they lift their head off the pillow at night because that helps open the airway. And, you know, I only had mild sleep apnea. That's, uh, I had 12 interruptions per hour. My wife had 34 interruptions per hour and we got those down to almost zero, sometimes zero, but under five means you're okay. And when that happened, within about six to eight months of being able to sleep properly without being interrupted 12 or 34 times an hour, imagine that, um, my neck pain went away because I was lying flat. I mean, I wasn't lifting my head, you know, and, and also the posture during the day, if your airway is small, people tend to move their neck forwards. Mm-hmm. In fact, if someone has a very blocked airway, if you have them go back, plug their nose and breathe, you can hear the constriction in the airway. So a lot of people are are walking around like this. I'm exaggerating. Of course, we're on our computers. We're in that forward I posture. Can see you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and that and that is so hard on all these muscles. So I it went away and never came back. It was wonderful. So again, another undiscovered root cause uh, of of my neck pain. So oh, so that and then the, so the reason I wrote the book and I wrote it w- with my daughter it was because. Even though my wife was in the healthcare industry, she was a registered nurse, but now into biotech, marketing manager, VP, and 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 I was a dentist, and we struggled getting care, and and we had great insurance through my wife's business and uh, work, and but we still couldn't get the answers, and so the whole medical side of it was so mixed up. Dentistry really wasn't aware that much of, so I became a sleep dentist, learned how to heal 
and, and fix my sleep apnea, my wife's sleep apnea that was with oral appliances. And then, but we had to navigate the medical system. And if we thought that it was confusing and felt that it was confusing, I just, mm-hmm. my daughter one day said, dad, what about everyone else out there that doesn't have a medical background? And we wrote the book. That, that was the, the impetus for the book. And this book is called The Eight-Hour Sleep Paradox for everybody listening. Make sure you grab that one and we will, of course, have it um, on all our platforms for you to find as well. If you don't have one of those magic sort of sleep apnea machines or or you're not ready to go down that path yet, are there things that can measure your amount of sleep? Do you know of an app, I guess? Apps do everything these days. Is there one that can measure your sleep? There's an app for everything. There's a... (laughs) tracker for everything. And I was very, you know, when I was writing that book eight years ago, I was very much against trackers and apps. There was, there, there is an app that I recommended in the book. Um, it was a, a snoring app. You would download the app and it would just, it would record the whole evening. I mean, the, the whole time that you slept. And then in the morning it would only play back audio sounds. So you would get your snoring compressed in a matter of five, 10 minutes, and you could listen to snoring. And I would have my patients do that. And based on the sounds, I could get an idea of how bad the sleep apnea was. So so that was very simple. The movement trackers were not good because it's okay to move in the middle of the night. That's not a great measure. A temperature, lowering your temperature is a great measure. Your HRV, your heart rate variability is a great measure. Deep sleep, REM, stages of sleep. Again, the best way to measure that is with uh, brain electrodes. And none of the apps, none of the trackers do that. My favorite tracker is the Aura Ring. Again, I have no affiliation with them. My wife and I um, have had the second and third generation ring, and it's not perfect. Uh, It does not take the place of a of a attended sleep study, a polysomnography, which is the gold standard still. Again, that's not perfect. But uh, if you think you have sleep apnea, you should try and get that uh, polysomnography. That's important. But the sleep tracker has the Aura Ring, or probably there's some other good sleep trackers out there. But again, based on the research and what I've experienced, I do like the Aura Ring. It really is a behavioral modifier, and it makes you a better sleeper because it keeps track of what you're doing. So if you're kind of burning the candle at both ends, which I was very good at for many, many decades. You know, if you had a, a sip of wine too late or a big meal too late or too close to bedtime, if your circadian rhythms are, if you're if you're abusing that, going to bed two hours late one night and then trying to go to bed two hours earlier or what you think is your bedtime, getting up late, not getting up at the same time, not getting enough sun before 10 o'clock in the morning, all those things are so important. It really helps you call you out on that. And, and by doing so, and, you know, especially if you share your data with someone, uh, you, you become a better sleeper and that's just, it's just fine tuning the sleep hygiene. It gives you recommendations. And so I do recommend that, but if, if you can't breathe your nose, if you're snoring, snoring is a dead giveaway. There's, there's nothing funny about snoring. There are some people that don't snore. They still have apneas because they can't snore. The airway closes completely. You have to have a little bit of a airway opening to make that, you know, that, you yes. know that noise, that that, that vibration, noise. Um, <laughs> exactly. So, so there are apps, but I'm I, I always recommend them guardedly because you know mm-hmm. if you do, you don't want to miss the opportunity of identifying that you have a sleep issue. The earlier, the better, and and that's what dentists are doing. We're identifying it in two to four month olds or one year olds, and then that way th- that patient develops correctly and never has to address that. If you find out that you've had sleep apnea for 40, 50 years, you already have some damage to your body, oxidative stress, brain damage, heart damage, muscle damage. Some of that 
Maybe most of it can be reversed, but why wait till then to find out on something that can be fixed early on? So again, functional dentistry. We're really good at that. Yeah, Dr. B, I could listen to you all day. I'm finding this just one of the most incredible conversations I've ever had. I do appreciate your time. So um, do you know of any functional dentists here in Australia? Does, Does functional dentistry exist in Australia? A super quick pause in our conversation. Have you heard the news? The Aging Project has a sister platform called You Must Try It. It's come about because, like you, we want to age well, but that means knowing which products or brands to buy. And let's face it, with so many products on the market, it's becoming harder to choose. So, with the guidance of our in-house wellness team, we are doing the research for you. You'll only find tried, tested and loved products on youmusttryit.com. So, if that's of any interest, go and sign up. We'd love you to join us. Okay, let's get back to our chat. You know, it does. Um, You actually have a very well-known functional dentist in Australia. His name is Dr. Stephen Lin. He actually wrote a book. I would recommend interviewing him. He wrote the book, The Dental Diet, which again is the root cause of most oral disease. Uh, I would reach out to him. Um, We do have a directory on our website, and I don't know if we have anyone in Australia. I, I, I know we have functional dentists all over the world, even Africa, Middle East, Asia. I'm sure we have some in Australia, but it doesn't matter. I, I think you you should ask around. Google, usually they'll identify themselves as, as an integrative, holistic, or a functional provider. And if you go to our website, if you listen to this podcast or, or my podcast or go to our Instagram feed, just by listening to the Instagram feed for a month or maybe even two weeks, you'll know what to ask, what to expect from, you'll, you'll know what the difference is between a conventional, conventionally trained Dentist, and again, there's nothing wrong with a conventionally trained dentist. I mean, we need good clinicians, um, but but you really want to be getting your advice from a functionally trained dentist because the outcome will be better for you in the long run. You you may even save money because you'll be addressing things that will be coming up in the future. Well, this is amazing. I just went through um, a course or or a you know proceed Invisalign, I guess. Again, without yes. promoting anything, I'm not connected with them at all. But that came right. from my dentist saying, "You are getting older. No, your teeth are good enough, but you're not chewing right. You're not swallowing right. Your jaws not right." And I actually saw my whole face transform yes. over the course of the you know the twelve or eighteen months um, of wearing it, and it was incredible. My tongue sits differently, so all of those yes. things that you pointed out, I thought was just basically you know. So I, I looked better, and I had the Hollywood smile. But no, so much was behind their reasoning for putting me through that process, even though I didn't realise that I had any teeth issues or, or um, any you know, any jaw problems at all. But that was identified by my dentist. So Absolutely, big shout out everything to you just said. You're amazing. The customer thinks of it as a cosmetic result, but really there's more to it. And and there we we can see aging. I mean, like bruxism, grinding of the teeth and wear on the teeth. Uh, these are all signs that some people actually can pick up. Some lay people can pick up subconsciously. Uh, but uh, especially in the dating scene, uh, you know, swollen gums, worn teeth, teeth that are all at the same level. All of those things are registered. We have studies that that demonstrate how people are able to pick up, pick up on that. But, um, but yes, aging starts in the mouth and, and should be addressed. And Invisalign, I've always said, it's not really a cosmetic product. It's really more of a restorative product. And before you have a facelift or, or anything very invasive like that, even Botox, 
I would recommend doing Invisalign. If there's any crowding, uh, I would do some myofunctional therapy, get the swallow reflex correct, position of the tongue, you know, work, work on the framework. You know, how is the framework? Address that. If it's too narrow, if you're not sleeping well, all those things can reverse aging. Dr. B, we would love to stay connected with you. Obviously, I, I love your Instagram. I think it's incredible. You've got an amazing amount of information there, really easy to digest, and that is Ask the Dentist. That's on Instagram, of course, your website. That is also at Ask the Dentist. Lastly, what can we do today? Um, I know you've given us so much advice today, but is there anything we can start doing right now that is going to help us on our ageing well journey when it comes to oral health, oral hygiene, and, of course, looking after our mouth? Well, I would, I would definitely seek out a functional provider. That, uh, every time I've recommended that to someone, 90% of the time, you know, I get feedback saying, oh my God, I had no idea this existed. This has, and typically these, the people that reach out on our website, on Instagram are the people that have had frustrated, frustrating experiences at the dentist. I mean, they're, every time they come in, it's a cavity, it's another crown, it's a cracked tooth. And, mm -hmm. and, but by seeing a functional provider, a lot of that stuff stops and, and wouldn't that be great, right? It's easy on your pocketbook, but, but also it, 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 in a way it's addressing premature aging. Um, and so I would seek out a functional provider. Um, and then of course, real quick, I would take vitamin K2 along with A and D3. That's important. I would read the dental diet. I would read the book breath that in a nutshell will give you that whole picture on breathing, malfunctional therapy, position of the tongue. You know, are you able to breathe and sleep properly? That's key. Again, that is the fountain of youth. So I know it's very hard for you, Dr. B, to, to recommend certain products, but if we're not using those um, commercially available toothpastes, what should we be looking for? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's a, a big thing you can do to help your oral microbiome, your oral health. And so if you can't find something that's safe, not using toothpaste uh, is a good start. Uh, a lot of people that get canker sores I tell them, stop using toothpaste. The canker sores will go away in a few weeks. You could use salt. You could use baking soda. Flossing, of course, is pretty easy. But there are some great toothpaste coming out. There's some, and I don't know if they're available in Australia or not, but here in the U.S., we recommend Boca, B-O-K-A. It's not perfect. We recommend Risewell. These are toothpaste that do not have fluoride. So that's the first thing you don't want to be using. Mm -hmm. You also want to be... if. I, I don't know if uh, Australia has fluoridated water, um, but if you do, you should fil be filtering that out. There is a miracle ingredient. I, I use that word in a I, kind of a satirical way because it's been around forever. It's called calcium hydroxide or hydroxyapatite. That's the material of the tooth. And that's coming back into vogue. And you can get it from anywhere, from natural sources. The Japanese have been using it for about 40 years successfully. The U.S. just got wind of it. It's uh, typically uh, the Europeans have been using it. So look for a hydroxyapatite-based toothpaste. No fluoride. Try not to have SLS, sodium lauryl sulfate, in your toothpaste. That's the thing that dries your mouth, irritates the oral mucosa. It actually breaks down the, the lipid layer, the, the wall of cells, and in a way is killing all the bacteria for a short period of time. But again, it's like alcohol. It's drying your mouth and it's altering your oral microbiome. So a lot of these toothpastes use a sodium lauryl sulfate. It's an emulsifier, surfactant. They, they use uh, natural forms of it, but it's still an emulsifier. It still dries your mouth. So right now, I don't have a perfect toothpaste, but certainly don't use Colgate or Crest with 
chemicals in it and whitening formulations. Charcoal, if it's a high quality charcoal, some dentists stay away from it because they think it's abrasive. If it's done properly, uh, I've seen the the uh, the abrasivity indexes of some of these charcoal toothpastes. They're very low. They're under 30. Uh, Colgate, for example, is at 220. They have some uh, very abrasive toothpaste. That's how they whiten your tooth. They scrape it down. And a lot of that structure you never get back. So there's a lot of misinformation in toothpaste. Look, use the boutique brands. You can go to our website. We have recommendations. In the US here, we recommend Boca and Risewell, not because they're perfect, but because they're safe. They don't have fluoride and they have that miracle uh, ingredient, uh, hydroxyapatite. So it's been around forever. We will go on the hunt and we'll put some up on our website too of what's available here in Australia. Yeah. And if you have any problems, let me know. I can reach out to the manufacturers and see if there are links or places where you can get it. My goodness. We're going to have to get you back on. Absolutely. I know you're a busy, busy man and we really do appreciate your time. Supplements is something we didn't talk about. I'd love to dive deeper, of course, into those uh, diseases that we get that obviously are starting in our mouth. Dementias, your Alzheimer's. Um, So much to chat about. I am going to reach out to you again, Dr. Mark. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Shelley. Thanks for having me on the show. It was a lot of fun. Who knew nose breathing was so important? I have been assessing the whole family since my chat with Dr. B. And what about tongue scraping? That is new to me, but I am loving it. And that some of the products that we've always used since we were kids, like Listerine or Colgate, really aren't doing us any favours. What a jam-packed episode filled with golden nuggets. As you know, we are about making small changes at The Ageing Project, so rather than trying to do it all, just start small. Maybe a new toothpaste. And if you'd love to pop onto our sister platform, youmusttryit.com, you'll be the first to know which ones we recommend and what's available here in Australia. If you loved this episode, please share and review it for us on iTunes or wherever you're listening. We love reading your comments. We love sharing your comments. And we're told it helps spread the word about our podcast in that wonderful big world of ours. Thank you so much for joining me once again. I'm Shelley Craft, and this is another episode of the Aging Project podcast. I'll see you again next week. The Aging Project is brought to you by Poly Studio. They're our go-to team for all things podcasting.